right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time to say. All right, let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Well, a little less cushion than there could have been after last night for KU heading into the game against Kansas State tonight. Baylor does beat Oklahoma State. For a second, it looked like the Cowboys were going to win that game and ends up going to overtime. Crazy game. Um... At the end of the game, Oklahoma State has the ball for what they're basically going for the last shot, and it basically gets pinned behind the backboard on the baseline, and it's just like a horse shot that I don't even know if he was trying to shoot the ball, honestly, or just throw it back into play, but I think it was ice likely, and just tossed it up. It goes in, and it was in before the clock expired, but it was not in before the shot clock expired, or was not out of his hand, I should say. And um, Baylor ends up getting another chance, wins in overtime. So, I mean, on one hand, it could have been, you know, if Baylor loses that game, then you're one Texas Tech upset away from KU basically having an impossible amount of cushion to win the Big 12. But I think on the other hand, now that Baylor won that game, like it's very easy. And and I, I don't know, maybe this is like a stupid theory to have. I don't like the idea of playing good teams that are coming off a loss. So that's a positive. Yeah, I don't know what the numbers have to say on that, but in general, I agree. But it's just like, you know, every time KU loses a game and it's like Bill Self is 130 and 10 coming off a loss, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe that's just because Bill Self is amazing. Yeah, and and, but and good teams, it's hard, you know, a lot, very, very rarely do good teams lose two games in a row. So that's part of it. But um, I don't know. I I think, but there's, there's always part that's like, yeah, there's, even if you want to call it superstition that, even though it's not officially superstition because it's not like I have to sit in this chair, but it's it, you have some reason behind it. You think, okay, if, if, they, if they're coming off of a loss, they'll be more focused when they play Saturday. Um, but it's, it's kind of like tonight. I mean, you know, you talk, and Baylor had the potential of a letdown factor last night, and Kansas has the potential of a letdown, letdown factor tonight. So I don't know if, you know, I, you know, I don't know how much the numbers hold up to to those thoughts but they the the argument makes sense that if they had lost that game they would be more hungry more focused coming into the game when they played us and and again I don't know if they're going to play but I I also there's part of me that's like it's Kansas they're going to be focused to play Kansas anyway especially because you know what happened in Allen Fieldhouse earlier this year yeah that's a good point and it's going to be on a Saturday night. Like, it'll be a crazy environment no matter what. I don't know. Maybe that's just how my brain works for some dumb reason. Uh, KU takes on K-State tonight, though. Pre-game at 6.30, tip-off at 8 o'clock. You can hear it here on KLWN, KLWN.com, and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. KU actually released some new uniforms that they're going to wear for tonight's game. I think it's just a one-time thing that they're going to be wearing. They're white uniforms. They have like coloring of a sunflower on the Kansas across the jersey, and they have little sunflowers and stuff. It's also going to be honoring. I don't know how that specifically honors it. I, I didn't see if there's like a specific patch um, for, I can't remember the guy's name, and I should probably know this, but um, the first African-American basketball player who played at KU. Is that right? Um, in um, the 1950s. Let me, 
Let me put. Let me let me pull up the story behind it. One second. Yeah. So I I, I thought that was the case, but I, I could be wrong. But either way, like it, it's honoring them. I actually think they're really cool. I like the jerseys a lot, and I know this is a discourse that I don't always like getting into. The oh, are the jerseys cool or not? Like I don't know. That's for you to decide. Everybody can have their own picks. All that stuff. Um, but I like them a lot. I don't want them to be the primary uniforms or anything like that. I think they're a cool like one-off. They have like this sunflower yes, kind of pattern. Yes, you're correct. It was um, Lavana C. Squires. There we go. Yeah. But again, I won a national championship at Kansas in 52. Yeah, I don't know if there's a patch on there or what. Like why specifically are the Sunflower League uniforms honoring him? But either way, it is cool that they are doing that. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll ask that on our daily poll coming up later. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. It's impossible to look at what's coming up with this game specifically without looking at what happened last time. You know, that was just an inferno shooting first half for Kansas State, followed by a wild comeback for KU. Ochak Baji scored 29 points for KU. It was an awful officiating decision down the stretch that live you probably thought that it was going to cost KU the game, but they ended up getting a big bucket from Ochak Baji. They made the stops down the stretch. And they won 78-75, escaping K-State with a win in Manhattan. And, and that game was probably higher scoring than I would assume tonight's going to be. Um, what's, the, what's the over-under for tonight? I haven't seen the over-under, but Ken Palm has it at 78-66. Cause that, game was, that game was 150, 153, wasn't it? Yeah, the last time they played was 153. Um, I think it's probably a little lower than that, more specifically because I think K-State will probably be lower than that. K-State typically, they slow the tempo down a little bit. They do have a really efficient three-point shooting team. They don't turn the ball over often. So if you have those two things, that's usually a recipe for a lot of points and, and efficiency on offense. But they don't shoot well from inside the arc at all. And they don't get offensive rebounds for, even though they don't lose extra possessions without the turnovers, they don't gain extra possessions either. Like I said, they're going to slow things down a little bit more. So I would expect probably a little bit lower scoring, at least on, on their side of things um, in this game. But... I will say, Kansas State has kind of regressed on the defensive side of the floor. Like, we talk about all these great teams on defense in the Big 12, and it absolutely is. And, and still, the fact that Kansas State is, it, you know, if you go by conference-only numbers, they're not the worst defense. But if you go by overall numbers, they're ranked 51st in adjusted defensive efficiency, which, again, is crazy. That's your worst defense. But, but I they, think that, isn't that lower than what they were is. when Kansas went to Yeah, Manhattan? they were in the, I want to say they were in the low 30s, something like that, when they last went there. So they have regressed a little bit, or... Maybe it's just not regressing. Maybe it's just showing more of their true colors um, since previewing that first meeting. They're fine on that end, but they're one of the bottom defenses, at least in the league. Again, that's not maybe saying much because this conference is so loaded there, but they're they're bottom four in a lot of different categories. They don't really have, like we've seen a lot of other Big 12 teams where, okay, West Virginia is a good example. Uh, West Virginia has a pretty good defense, but a big reason why is because they just force a lot of turnovers. There are some areas where West Virginia wasn't good at defensively. With Kansas State, they don't really have a calling card defensively. Their bottom four, if you just look at Big 12-only play, in defensive efficiency, defensive turnover rate, effective field goal percentage, fouling teams, two-point defense, block rate, steal rate, allowing teams to get off threes, although teams haven't shot them well, which I don't know if that's luck or there's something there. Um, and most notably, at least for me, they are also in the bottom four and, and not a good defensive rebounding team. Yeah, I, I'm i looking back and I'm trying to think of, of what could be what's most likely to be repeated 
in uh, it, w- w- what we saw with what K-State did really well. Um, look, Nigel Pack is capable of going off on any given night, so he could repeat what he did. But I think what might be more likely to repeat, and I, I can't remember the kid's name, but they've got a really good driving guard. Yeah, Marquise Noel. I, I don't know Noel, if it's, it's Noel, Noel It's Noel. Noel, Noel, Noel yeah. yeah. Uh, Noel, I think, it might be the one most likely. No, no, look, Nigel Pack has shown an ability to go off on any given night, so if he goes off tonight for 30 or more, that's not going to stun me. But if I'm just looking back at what happened in Manhattan, what I think is very, not very likely, but more likely to repeat, it's Noel's ability to get inside because he's quick. Yeah, he is. And we'll talk about this a little later too, but I do think it'll be very interesting what KU does. And in the first half, it wasn't always Dewan Harris on Nigel Pack. Does he guard Pack? Does he guard Noel? Uh, what happens with Joe Yesifu? Maybe is this a game more for him because you need another guard out there to defend those guards? Um, so that's obviously matchup number one. People I think are going to keep an eye on. I'm really curious, as I mentioned, with the defensive rebounding because that honestly is probably what won KU the game along with Ochag Baji going bananas and KU. I forget if they ran a zone or a triangle in two at one point in the second half, but that helped them as well. KU in the first meeting had 18 offensive rebounds. Kansas State had 16 defensive rebounds. So KU, (laughs) that's incredible. KU had 18 offensive rebounds. Kansas State had 23 total rebounds. That's crazy. I mean, KU shouldn't, I I don't know if it'll be that extreme because that's, you can't count on Pre- that much. Preview for Pickahawk later in this show. Yes, absolutely. But I do think it is fair to say, even though it probably, won't, again, won't be that dominant, I would expect KU to have a sizable rebounding advantage. Yeah, I, I don't, that's, a, yeah, that, that goes back I to, think on, Dave on, had 15 rebounds. On KU's side of things, what's likely to repeat, and I think that would be one. So, I, you know, I think this could be one of those games where um, if Ochai scores a lot, he's also getting a lot in in the rebound category. Christian Brown, Jalen Wilson have an opportunity to get big stats even if they're not able to score. And when you're a good offensive team, which KU has proven to be, offensive rebounds are even more effective mm-hmm. because it's kind of like what what have we you know what have we said before? What's a good way to stop a great offense? Well, get get offensive rebounds for yourself and get turnovers. So then you're stealing possessions. You're not giving them as many chances to show off how good their offense is. On the other side of that, if you're Kansas and you're getting multiple offensive rebounds, you're you're getting more chance. You know, you could have a bad or even not a bad, but an offensive set that for whatever reason or another just ends up with a missed shot. And all of a sudden, you you know, K State's feeling happy. All right, we just for you know forced to miss shot, whatever the case may be. Oh, gosh, now we got to do it all over again. I don't know if this is just correlation versus causation, but if you if you sort KU's best games by offensive rebound rate, so the percentage of misses that they get the offensive rebound, the Kansas State game was number one, <laughs> getting 53% of their misses. That's absolutely That's incredible. That's insane. Um, to get... Just to get the, the more insane way to say it is you get more offensive rebounds than the other team yeah. does defensive rebounds. I can't imagine that repeat. I mean, I think KU no. still wins the rebounding battle tonight, but I'm not sure that one holds up. But you know, like if I again, if I sort it by that stat, KU has four losses. Three of their four losses this season are bottom five offensive rebounding games for them: Texas, Texas Tech, and Kentucky. And uh, every other game, that means what? They're 22 and four. So if you take out the bottom five worst offensive rebounding games, they're 17 and one. The only what was their loss? It was Dayton. They they got thirty five and a half percent. Such a bizarre game. That was. They did, 
if you look at that was a defensive issue game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, Dayton shot, um, I want to say like over sixty percent on twos or something like that in that game. Yeah, Dayton shot sixty three percent on twos in that. Like that was just a game where KU's defense was awful, but the rebounding was there. I mean, every other game that KU has had high rebound numbers on the offensive glass because. like you said, it makes sense. It it just adds to what is already a really good offense and gives you more it possessions. Gives you more chances. So the fact that even if Kansas State prevents KU from mi- getting half of their misses, even if KU gets 35% of their misses, which if you just go by like the median and take off some of their highest performances, take off some of the middle performances, it's around 35%. And a like, lot, a that's lot probably of, still enough for KU to win by maybe even double digits. And a lot of times an offensive rebound leads to an immediate layup because it's it's being rebounded right at the bucket. Exactly. And for a team that at times struggles to get an entry pass to a postman, yeah. that basically is a free entry count, pass. Yeah, right? that kind of counts as... And, and so, yeah, I mean, they, uh, McCormick scored six. Did he score six off of um, offensive rebounds against West Virginia? I think six of his points came off layout. I can remember two for sure. Um, would have been four points, but I, I'm pretty sure he had six points off of an offensive rebound in Morgantown. I remember Dave having a really good game, like overall body work, and you look at the stats he did, 19 and 12. The only like actual video highlight I can actually remember for Dave in that game is the missed dunk. I, I don't know why. I think that I, is the Dave conundrum. The I was plays that you remember are the ones where it's like, oh, no. I was listening to the radio at that point because I was <laughs> I was really hungry. So at halftime, I left and got oh, some Oh, I'd food. love to hear the radio call it on was, that. It was, it was Haney, Haney, uh, Haney had fun with it. I um, He did note that uh, Ochai kind of gave him, because Ochai went down and canned a three not long after and kind of gave... Dave, a, a little. Um, it depends. Haney said he looks like he's giving him some encouragement. Ochai <laughs> said to the media, he said, "I was kind of saying, hey, hey, man, we we need that. We need that from you because Ochai then talked about how he and had Dave have a great relationship that you know they can be honest with one another. Um, but yeah, that's always that's a play you remember those because especially, but they're that's a play where if you are a coach. You are the attitude in which you bring that up in film session depends a lot on what the final score was. Oh yeah. If KU yeah. loses that game, like let's say you know West Virginia keeps hanging around after they get to within a point and and winds up winning by two or three, um, self brings that up angrily. I would imagine. I don't know this, but I would guess that that's one of those things in film session you bring up to kind of make sure he gets a little razzing from his teammates. Yeah, I would agree. So here's the deal. KU will probably lose the turnover battle. K-State doesn't turn it over a lot. KU doesn't force turnovers, and they turn it over a lot. Uh, But KU will get more possessions to them by offensive rebounding. So just by a possession game, maybe those two things balance out. And then I think it comes down to just KU is better inside the arc on both ends of the floor than Kansas State. The way that K-State stays in this game is is the same way that they almost won it last time. They go bonkers from three. Nigel Pack, Marquise Noel are unstoppable. To your point on Noel getting into the lane, that'll open threes up for other people. If that happens, like those are the types of players and performances that can help you win on the road in Allen Field. So you have to have guys who can make tough shots, make tough plays. They have those. I just think that KU is going to be better prepared for Pack and, and Kansas State this go around and the fact that, I mean, they weathered that performance from Nigel Pack on the road, still won. Like, that has to be a good sign, even though that'd probably not be a great sign at the same point in time if if KU had to sweat this one out tonight. Yeah, I would agree with that completely. I, You know, 
you be you you kind of be wondering if KU you know loses or or even wins close. You're like, well, is this just mean K State is just a crummy matchup for Kansas? Um, but yeah, I, I think, and I also think it's just worth noting Kansas is a better basketball team now than they were then. Mm-hmm. Um, now that's not to say K State is worse. They've actually won four or six, um, and they are fighting for the tournament lives right now. And I think they know that this win would go a long ways to getting them at least firmly on the bubble, if not on the right side of it. So they're going to be focused, but I just, I I think Kansas, I I don't know. I I think K-State, that was the one they were going to win. I could be wrong. Maybe they, maybe Nigel Pack is crazy focused. He goes for 40 night and they pull it off. Um, But I I think that was the one that K-State needed and they didn't get it. Yep. It's almost like when I, especially when I'm watching like an NBA game or something or like a really good free throw shooter in college if the first free throw hits like the front of the rim and then it goes in, the second one's a swish. Abs every time, every time, and you're like, oh no, the one that he was supposed to miss still went in. That's that's like what that game was. That the first game was the free throw that hit the front of the rim and crawled over, and KU still found a way to make it in. And then the second one, which is tonight, could end up being a swish for KU. You can hear it here on KLWN or sister station 105.9 Kiss later tonight. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, klwn.com. Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World is going to join us in about 15 minutes. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports joins us at 440. We'll be back after this timeout. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. That time on a Tuesday, we talk with Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, kusports.com. You'll be able to read about whatever happens tonight after the KUK State game in the LJ World and the KUSports.com. Um, so, Matt, on, on one hand, you know, Bill Self mentioned both, I guess it is Media Vale and on Hawk Talk last night, that Remy Martin was starting to practice with contact, and that is kind of a positive step in the right direction, at least even though it's it might just be in a limited amount. Um, there is that step toward actually practicing with others and in contact. And, and then on Hawk Talk last night, he added that, you know, it could take a few weeks for Remy to get back in the swing of things whenever he does return, and that they're going, they're, they're not going to lessen their potential just to get Remy going. So, with all that in mind, do you think there is a drop dead date, maybe in the back of Bill Self's mind, of Remy needs to be back by X game or X date to be a part of the postseason rotation? Yeah, yeah, there probably is. Um, but at the same time, I, I, you know, I, I respect that point of view and and line of thinking and totally understand that that's, that's probably how this thing is, is playing out right now. Um, and obviously coach self has all the control in the world of that. Um, so, so I do think that everything he's saying is absolutely critical and, and legitimate and important, um, so to answer your question first, you know, I, I don't, I think there probably is a drop dead date. I would imagine it would probably be at the very latest next Thursday. That would give you, uh, the home game against TCU, uh, a home game against Texas and then whatever you do in the big 12 tournament. And maybe that's enough. That'd be two weeks. Um, so I, I mean, I'd be shocked if it's, if it's any later than that. Um, but having said that, 
I think this is still a guy, a, a head coach who who wants to win at all costs, and and especially in March when it's when that's what matters, and that's when your season's on the line, and that's what you're defined by. And so, if there's a second round game in March or a third round game in March where it looks like throwing Remy out there for five minutes might be a good idea. I don't think he would hesitate to do that. I don't think he would ever plan for that. I don't ever think he would say that's the ideal situation. I don't ever think he would go into any kind of postseason game like that thinking, well, hopefully we can get him five minutes and shake some of the rust off. You know, no, there's that's not what it's about. But if he thinks an extra ball handler or a little bit of fire or something like that could really be the difference for a few minutes even between – losing and going home or advancing, I mean, I don't think he would hesitate to put him out there. So it's kind of a fine line. It's kind of a, a, a tricky scenario because it just – you don't know about those moments. You, you can't plan for them until they are in front of you. And, and it may never happen. It may never get in front of you. It may not ever be a part of the equation. But he'll know it if it is, right? And then and then the last thing you want to do in a, in a second or third round tournament game or even a first round game is say, well, you know, back on Hawk Talk, I said there needed to be time for Remy. And, you know, since I said that, I just can't play him, even though I think he'd help us. If he thinks he'd help him at any point, regardless of preparation, practice, rust, whatever, if he thinks he'd help him, I think he puts him out there. But I do think in a perfect world, as they're trying to play this thing the best they can and get it all lined up perfectly, of course you want him to have a couple of weeks back to get – the, the chemistry back and, and knock off some of that rust and all of that stuff. But, you know, sometimes things don't go perfectly. And, and obviously we know that. I mean, that, that, that's, uh, that's been this whole season in a nutshell. No one, no one expected this to be the Remy Martin experience at Kansas. And uh, here we are, season winding down, and, and it's, it's very much the case. So I, I think that a lot of people I've seen on Twitter are willing to, you know, call it a, call it a season and, and give up hope and say, ah, it's not going to happen. Remy's done. It's just not in the cards and, and good for them. And, you know, if they're, if they're guarding their heart or protecting against disappointment or whatever, I, I, I totally understand that. But at the same time, I think, you know, there's, there's really time here. There, there, there really is. And, and there's no reason to pull the plug or call it good or, or, you know, wave the white flag any earlier than you absolutely have to. And I don't think they're anywhere close to that point yet. But I do see the idea that you're not going to jeopardize what chemistry you do have or, or disrupt the rotation that has led you to a 22-4 and four season just to make sure, oh, we got to get Remy back out there. I mean, that, you know, that, that makes sense to me, too. That's, that's not good business, and there's no need for them to do that. So it's, it, it, it continues to be a, a tricky situation, and, and you know, and it's unfortunate. I mean, if he, uh, if he could have been back two weeks ago, they'd be through all that by now, and he'd have had three, four, five games under his belt already, and, and most of that rust and chemistry talk probably would be behind us. But that's not the reality of what they're facing, and so they got to figure it out from here. But, but I do think that I do think there's still a chance that, that he can factor into this thing. But to be completely honest, the biggest question that I have, and it's probably it probably ties into the practice that you've mentioned. Um, the, the biggest question is just how how well does he respond, right? I mean, it's one thing to get ready to go back out there and play, and maybe you play 15, 20 minutes. But what does it feel like the next day? 
what does it feel like the day after that? And if if that soreness returns in a day or two after you play, it's just really hard to see you turning around playing you know back to back type games in the tournament with high stakes and and short rest and all that stuff. It's just really hard to imagine that. So I know the goal was shut him down so it can get almost you know to a hundred percent. But, you know, whether that can actually happen or not remains to be seen. Yeah, and, and I agree with you that, you know, if even if there is a drop-dead date, which in my eyes I think it is sometime next week, like you said, maybe next Thursday or something like that, I don't think you would just want to reintroduce him to the rotation. Um, but, you know, what I'm talking about there is is him getting back into the rotation as a, you know, okay, he's playing 20, 25 minutes every single game. I think right. you're, you're spot on that, he could still be in the rotation, but it would be more of a, uh-oh, Dewan got two fouls. Or, hey, we just need a scoring spark off the bench. Let's see if he's got it tonight. And if he starts, kind of like with Jalen Coleman lands, if he starts out 0 for 2, he's getting the hook because he's just not feeling it tonight, right? It, it, it's something like that. I, I I, do think, though, that there is that drop-dead date. But at the same point in time, you know, as of, I think, last week, I think when we last talked to Bill Self, it was last, oh, gosh, I want to say last Thursday, maybe, and and maybe I, uh, to that point, um, I think he said that he had still not participated in any contact drills, and that he still right. not had had done anything with with other teammates. And at that point, I was sitting there, and I, I kind of was of more of the ilk that I don't think we were going to see him again. But then, when we heard from Bill Self again on on Monday and on Hawk Talk last night, and and you hear the. Um, fact that he is starting to be in contact drills even if it is limited work that is at the very least a positive arrow pointed in the right direction to get him on the road to playing so I'm to a point where I kind of am expecting to see him again um, maybe next week for for KU would you be in the same camp yeah I I mean look I don't I haven't ruled it out that he could play tonight I mean you know there's nothing that's indicated that there's there's no one that said that could happen I think I've said a couple of times on on your show here over the last few weeks that that I kind of pointed to this as the perfect return date. Um, you know, first of all, it, it was a, a good chunk of three, four plus weeks to uh, to, to actually rest it and heal. Um, on top of that, it's a home game, which you know, if Remy Martin checks into the game for even one minute, the fans are going to go wild, yeah. and uh, you know that'll the he'll feel a lot of love and. Sometimes adrenaline can pull you through a little bit of pain, right? And and you're not going to get that adrenaline rush on the road. Uh, no one's going to care that you're out there on the road. So, you know, this seems to me, and, and and then on top of that, it's you know, it's it's a it's a big game. It's K State. It's a big rivalry, and and they don't probably need him to win this game, but you know, of course he wants. They want him to be a part of it if he can. So, I've thought for a couple of weeks that this would be the perfect game for him to you know, start his return. And, and so I'm not, like I said, I'm not predicting it. I'm not expecting it. I don't think it's going to happen, but I wouldn't be shocked if he got out there for five or six minutes tonight, just to, just to see, because at this point you have to look at the truth. You have to look at the reality. And that is that he practiced some Thursday. He practiced some Friday and he practiced some yesterday. Well, they didn't practice on Saturday because they had a game and then they were off on Sunday. So, he has practiced in some form or another in their last three practices. And so, like you said, that, that shows you that the arrow is pointing in the right direction. Does it mean he's ready? No, not even close. But it does give you an indication that it could be coming. And so, 
it wouldn't shock me if it's tonight, but um, I'm certainly, you know, not telling people to expect it or hold their breaths or anything like that. Um, I just think it would be really cool. I think it'd be an unbelievable situation and a perfect spot for him to return. And then, you know, maybe he, maybe he takes the rest of the week off and uh, sees if, how it feels heading into Saturday at Baylor. And, you know, that's going to be a tough one to throw him out there, um, regardless of how he were to play tonight if that were to happen. So, you know, maybe he gets another week then because then you're, you're at TCU the following Tuesday and, 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 and then you're talking about Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. So that's a pretty quick turnaround for, for a guy who's just coming back. So I still think tonight makes a lot of sense, um, even if it is just a few minutes. But it also makes plenty of sense based on everything that Self has said for him to not play tonight, too. So, I mean, it, you know, it's, I know people are tired of it. I, I do. I, I, I mean, believe me, I, I, I've written a ton of Remy stories that are way different than any of the Remy stories I thought I'd write. And, um, you know, I, I don't write it in, unless something significant happens. And like you said, him, him practicing last week is significant. And him telling self earlier last week that he was, quote, definitely feeling better is significant. You know, there's news associated with this thing all, all the time. And so it's, it's our job to update people. It's, it's their job whether they care or not. But I get why people are tired of hearing the Remy updates. But, you know, the minute you don't hear them anymore is the minute it's over. And, and maybe that's okay with people too. But um, I, I think this team would love to have him. I do. And, and I think he would make them better if he's able to play, you know, at full Remy, at 100% feeling good or 90% feeling good and actually be a factor. I, I think he would help. So why not hold out a little bit of hope as long as you can? We're talking with Matt Tate of Lawrence Journal World here on RCST. KU takes on K-State tonight. You can hear it here on KLWN, pregame 6.30, tip-off at 8 o'clock. Is there a matchup or a facet or detail, whatever, of the game tonight that you're most intrigued by to see how it plays out? Yeah, I mean, look, guarding Nigel Pack is going to be the answer to that question for 99.9% of the world, right? I mean, but... It's not my answer because I don't think it's a concern. I think they, they saw all they needed to see in that first game, and they're not going to fall asleep on this guy tonight. They're not going to let him get good looks. If they do, they failed, and they made mistakes, and credit K-State for that. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't think there's a whole lot of intrigue around that one. Um, to me, it's, it's, it's the same thing that was maybe the bigger story in the first game, and that was what David McCormick did. I mean, he destroyed this team on the glass. Uh, you know, as you know, he had 15 boards, eight of them on the offensive glass. KU's best offense at times in that game was miss a shot and let Dave go get it. And not only did that lead to a second-chance opportunity and often second-chance points, but it also was demoralizing. K-State had no answer and could not stop it. And I, I don't see any reason that will be different tonight. Um, you know, they had Bradford in a little bit of foul trouble over there in Manhattan. Um, but even when he was out there, he didn't necessarily factor in too much. Uh, he's a big body and, and long, but they've still had his way with him at times even. Um, so for me, it's, it's, it's the David McCormick thing. It's, it's, you know, does he continue to, to play with the good energy and good activity that he's played over the last couple of weeks? Does he produce? Is he effective? Is he efficient? And, and, frankly, does he dominate the glass again? Because if he does, there's no way KU even comes close to losing. And, and I, I just don't see any reason that he, he would not. I mean, this is, this is such a good matchup for him, and he's already shown that once. So I, 
I want to see what that looks like in the second game because obviously K-State knows they can't let that happen again or they're going to lose for sure. But uh, I just don't know what they can do to stop it. So that, that one's interesting to me as, as much as anything. Um, and then what is it, Mark Smith? Is that, is that his name? Do I have that right? Yeah, it sounds like a generated, like, create a player on a video game. Yeah, well, so I thought he was a major key the last time they played a month ago, um, largely because he was really hot at the time, but he did not do anything in that first matchup. I mean, nothing. So worth keeping an eye on him because, you know, so much attention is going to be on Pack and, and Marquise Noel, um, you know, the, the two little guards that K-State has that are terrific. Um, but, but if Smith can, can perform and, and be the 15 to 20 points a night game or a game guy like, like he's capable of, then, you know, that, that just goes a long way toward keeping K-State in the game. Um, and, and you'll have to find an answer for that because, you know, they didn't have to face that in the first meeting. So it's a great matchup. I think it's cool. I can't wait to see these uniforms. Uh, I know most people probably think they're pretty ugly, but, you know, I think they would probably be pretty ugly if you wore them every night. But for one game, I think they look awesome. I think they, they pop. I think it's cool that they're, you know, heavy Sunflower, Sunflower State, Sunflower Showdown. I mean, What's not to like about that? I think they're going to look really cool out there. Yeah, I, I actually agree with you. I, I love them. I think it's uh, kind of a, a cool uniform. I, I didn't love the, the black and white ones a week ago. I didn't, I didn't think they're terrible or anything, but I, I actually really like these. Um, uh, before we let you go, Matt, the KU women's team is now 10 wins into Big 12 play. Um, they just missed out on being in the top 25, trending in the right way to the NCAA tournament. Um, we kind of on this show have kind of documented the whole time that we thought 10 wins would be enough for this team in conference play to make the NCAA tournament. But now that we're there, it's like if, if you're already here, you lose your next four and then five in the conference tournament. Like, are you going to actually make it? But um, certainly they put themselves in a good position. What have you been so impressed with about this KU women's basketball team? Well, I love their approach. I, I do. I mean, I, I think it's I think it's awesome that they are celebrating the little things. I think they, especially when you're at Kansas and you're in the shadow of such a historic, legendary program like the men's team, it's really easy to get caught up in the idea that nothing you do matters unless it's winning at the highest level or unless it's historic or unless it's on SportsCenter. And I think it's sometimes, and not even just in, in Schneider's era, but really going all the way back to as long as I've seen the program and that's even growing up in Lawrence I mean I I think in a lot of ways that's been kind of the 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 issue there's been a lot of that vibe whether it's uh, subconscious or what I mean I think that's part of the problem and so I I love that they are they are celebrating sweeps I love that they're celebrating hey we haven't won here on the road in 13 years let's celebrate it let's celebrate every single thing we do because my god they've had nothing to celebrate over the last six seven years right so it's it's awesome to see them embracing every good moment, enjoying every good moment, and and using that to build confidence and to build you know chemistry and and to build you know just a, a program that has a culture now. So I think that's been really cool. I, I think you know the coaching staff deserves certainly some of the credit for that, but I, I think the leaders on this team deserve the most credit. I think Holly Kerskeeter's terrific. I mean, you know, she's the most understated superstar there is but she is a star she's terrifically talented and you know she she she's not the loudest she doesn't have the craziest personality nothing like that but 
but she's a she's a winner. She's tough. She's a ball player, and and those girls love to follow her. And and there's others on that team that are the same way. And and so I I think that they've they've they deserve a lot of credit for. Um, you know, especially the way this conference schedule started. They lost a couple of early ones. They gave that one away against Baylor in a game they should have won. And instead of falling apart after that, they, they just, oh, we'll go win seven in a row here shortly. I mean, that's, that's really tough-minded stuff right there. And so I, I think, they, uh, I think they, they should be really proud of what they've done. But I do think they have work to do. I, I think exactly what you just said. I mean, you know, nine of their ten conference wins are against – you know, quote unquote, nobodies. They're not notable wins. They're not quality wins, at least in the eyes of the tournament and, and, you know, all those, your resume. So, um, these next four, all against ranked teams, all against good high net rankings. Um, you know, those are, those are critical games and you don't have to win all four of them, but I do think they have to win one of them. And I think if they win two or more, then they're obviously a lock at that point, but, um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting because you look at their non-con and, and, uh, you know, everybody knows that they've made a, a, a kind of a, a, a tradition, if you will, of, of racking up a pretty good non-conference record and then not doing much in the, in the conference season. And, and they did that again this year. Um, but they've obviously been able to, to pick up and, and continue winning in Big 12 play. So that's big, but their non-con, you know, I mean, Vanderbilt seems like a good win because they're an SEC program, but I looked up their net the other day. It was like 173. Um, St. Louis, another, you know, pseudo-name type of school, 131 net, you know. So those those wins, as much as you needed them, they're, they're not real big for your resume. And so I think that they've got to show that, that – that they can beat one of these teams. And, and, uh, if you do that, you know, then again, you, you absolutely belong in, you deserve it. Uh, I was a little surprised that they weren't ranked yesterday. That's why I know all these stats because I, I, I thought they would be. And then I kind of looked into it a little more and thought, well, I guess, I guess I see it now. You know, I, I guess they do still have work to do. And, and, uh, and, and I'm sure they're okay with that. You know, the, again, this is a team that, that has built their entire season and, and all the success success that they've had on not really worrying about what other people think, but just going to work, taking it a day at a time, putting in the time and, and, and expecting good results. And so I don't think they probably sat there yesterday and were crying in their cereal about, Oh, we're not ranked. This is so unfair. You know, I I think they could give a rip. I, I really do. I think, I think their focus is on preparing for tomorrow night against Iowa state in a game that, is at home and would be a massive, massive win for their big goals. And so if they're able to, to keep that mindset, they've, they've got a chance to, to do something that they haven't done in a long, long time. And, and right now they deserve it, you know? And so the best thing about that too, is they have an opportunity to go show the rest of the world that they, they do deserve it. And uh, all you got to do is, is, is win another game or two and, and everybody will take you serious. You'll probably be ranked and, and then you'll get a chance to go have some real fun. So I, I think it's been a cool year. They've been, they've been a fun team to follow. And, and um, as it should be, the, the most important part of their season is, is, is here now. It's, it's, it's right ahead, and, and they got to go make something happen um, in order for it to, to make this year something to remember. He is Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Matt, one last thing. At what age did you last have a, lunch, a Lunchable? 
Wow. Um, like an official Lunchable or just the style? No, no, it important. has to be the real thing. Okay. Okay. Um, because I'm a huge charcuterie board fan, you know, mm. like that's I, that's why I wanted to so clarify you have the, that. You have the upgraded Lunchable. Yeah, you have the, you have the first class Lunchable. Uh, yeah, absolutely, man. I love those. So I, I'll be honest. Let's see. Um, I would guess that in my entire life, which is more years than I care to share these days, cool twenty-eight. Um, <laughs> I've probably had an actual Lunchable. The, I mean, I can probably count the number of times I've had an wow. actual Lunchable on one hand. Probably mostly on field trips, right? That was the only time we were allowed to have them as a kid. When I was I a probably kid, had one about trips. a year ago. I, uh, me and my wife just had a late night craving one night. Might have had a few beers, um, and well, it would, I I thought there was something went, involved. And it wasn't beers when well, I was no. <laughs> went, went and got a uh, one of the pizza lunchables about a year ago. See, I don't even know pizza lunchables exist. Yeah. So, um, so I'm gonna say I'll say I was I was. Let's see, I'm 43 now. I, I will say I was 39 when I last had a lunchable because I mm. feel like. Doing the job that I do, you have these road trips where you're driving to Norman or Ames or Stillwater or wherever we drive for all these games that we cover, and I can see one of those times I was like, you know, we got gas, and I thought, I'm going to go, you know, instead of grabbing the, the Cheetos in here this time or a donut, I'm going to I'm gonna go healthy. I'm going to have this Lunchable. So I'm proud I would of guess you. it was more recent than it needed to be. Um and I'm not afraid to say that. I mean, I'm, I have nothing against Lunchables. I just, they've just not been a big part of my life, and I'm okay with that. But I, but I, I, my hats off to everybody who, who is on Team Lunchable. I think it's a cool, uh, it's a cool little invention, a nice little snack, a little healthy, good for you. It's great. Well, thank you for your honesty, Matt, and uh, look <laughs> forward to reading whatever you write tonight after the KUK State game. Uh, have a good rest of your day, and uh, talk to you later. All right, guys. Thank you. Enjoy the game. All right, that was Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta. One hour down, two to go. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Shock Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Joined now by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports on RCST. Uh, Kevin, we were just doing our uh, college basketball stock market report where we go through and, and we buy teams. Their price is per share is based on their Ken Palm adjusted EM rating. Um, is there anybody right now that sticks out to you that maybe is, I don't know, ranked a little bit lower? This is more of just a, or, or I guess maybe not playing as well right now, or maybe is just on the precipice of, of going on a hot streak that you think uh, would be a good team to buy low on toward this point of the season? You know, I think relatively at least Arkansas at 19 kind of seems like a value just because, you know, that's a team that's won what? I think 10 of 11 off the top of my head. And, you know, you you had a team that was, that was pretty transfer heavy to begin with. And so I think when you looked at teams like Texas and Arkansas, in the preseason, you know, a lot of people obviously gave Texas kind of the benefit of the doubt, but they were somewhat similar teams in that you figured they'd probably be playing their best basketball at the end of the year. And Arkansas has managed to kind of get there without a lot of people really talking about it. 
And, you know, they've landed some some big wins along the way. I think their only loss over that stretch is a one-point loss at Alabama. And, you know, Alabama's got some, some pretty big scouts this year. And, and so I, I think that's a team that's playing really well that's, that's kind of down a little bit in terms of the rankings. I think they're, they're 19th in Ken Palm, uh, that where maybe you're getting a top 15, top 10-ish type value, depending on the way the rest of this month goes. We're talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports here on RCST. Um, if you had to right now pick like a number of – teams to take this many teams versus the field of what you would have to take to win the national title and and you could choose whichever ones you want so like if you say i would need five teams and these are the teams i would pick for that how many deep would you need to take that over the field well you, the first thing you need to understand is that i am totally conservative on these things and and I'm the type of person who would agonize, you know, and probably will for a couple of hours after the show ends, where I'd say, oh, my gosh, I, I can't believe that I picked seven and I left this team that, you know, maybe has a one in, you know, 20 chance to win the title, right. you know, off. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I think – I don't think this year – last year would have been about as good a year – as possible and obviously it wound up we all know how it wound up but even before then it probably would have been as good a year as possible to take you know just two or three teams and in gonzaga and baylor both you know seemed like they were so far ahead uh, of where everybody else was and with baylor the only real question was okay they they had that rust coming off the covid break are they going to have enough time to turn the defensive side around before the tournament came in? And obviously they did. I think this year, you know, off the top of my head, you're looking, you know, maybe more like in the the six to eight range. I, I think, you know, there are probably as many as say like 16 teams that, that you could pick to, to win the title. I, I did think it was interesting we did an article that we do every single year, which is pretenders and contenders. And basically, it's not an opinion piece. It just looks at, hey, here's the worst offense to win the national title in the Ken Palm era. Here is the worst defense to win the national title in the Ken Palm era. Who fits in that discussion? Who, you know, who has a good enough offense and a good enough defense to win the title? And this is the first year that I can ever remember, Derek, where every single team in Ken Palm's top 10 fit into the contender column. Usually there, there are a couple outliers. You know, there's a team that is really, really good defensively, but maybe doesn't have the offense. Or we saw last year, especially within the Big Ten, when you looked at Ohio State, you looked at Iowa and teams like that, you saw a lot of teams that their defenses were nowhere near national title grade. And obviously that played out in March and, and a lot of those teams lost, you know, not just before the national title game, but lost really early on. And so I do think that that stretches things out a little bit more this year is I just feel like there's more teams that just fit that sort of contender description than, than maybe what there have been in previous years. And, 
And I'm saying that as somebody who, you know, I love watching Purdue. I think Purdue is such a tough team to match up with because of, you know, the the fact that they have the best center duo in, in the entire country. They've got Jaden Ivey, who's maybe the most explosive guard and, and best NBA draft talent guard, you know, in the entire country. And Purdue doesn't fit those metrics. Purdue is a team that is outside looking in when you're looking at the national title contenders from those standpoints. And so even by going with eight, I fear eliminating some teams that actually might have a very realistic chance. The problem is I don't know which eight I give you Mm. because I think when you get to it, I mean, there are some teams that obviously jump out. You feel good about Gonzaga. You feel good about Arizona. You feel good about Auburn, and there are certain teams you can check it, but a team that would seem to fall into that category, for instance, is Houston, right? And Houston meets the metrics and looks like a team that, you know, from a statistical standpoint could win the national title, but let's be honest, this is a Houston team that entered the season with maybe the nation's best backcourt, and yet they lost two starters uh, and two of their guys that they were counting on to be stars from that backcourt. And they keep winning anyway. And how Kelvin Sampson is not getting a lot more love for national coach of the year after that, you know, is kind of beyond me. But Houston is a team that I feel relatively solid about saying, you know, good team, tough team, you know, you're going to have to knock them out. They're not going to knock themselves out. And yet I would be wholly surprised if Houston cut down the nets uh, uh, at the end of March Madness. Yeah, I'll be honest. If you gave me, I think, three teams, I might take that over the field. Um, Really? Yeah, I think if you gave me the top three in Ken Palm, which would be Gonzaga, Kentucky, and Arizona, I think I would take them. And there's a couple reasons why. Now, in the case of Kentucky, they're not a projected one seed right now. Gonzaga and Arizona are. 11 of the last 15 champions have been one seeds, and two of those are UConn teams. So that's like the exception in the 2016 Villanova team, which was a two seed. Like, you could have argued that could have been a one seed. Um, So I, I think that matters. And then also, like you said, those teams fit into those parameters of, I think the worst adjusted defensive efficiency heading into the tournament is now actually Baylor from last year, which is 44th, although that's that's, correct. that's weird because of you know COVID, because I think clearly they were better than that when they were healthy and everything. Um, and when I look at the national champions over the last whatever handful of years, like their ranking just by overall adjusted EM on Ken Palm, this is the rankings if we go back over the last uh, six times. Number four, number one, number two, number three, number five, number six. And then if we go before that, which you have the 2014 UConn team, again, kind of an exception to the rule. You have number two, number one, again, UConn, an exception at 15. But then before that, it's two, three, one, three, six, two, five. So, like, clearly there is some of these top teams. And I I just see Gonzaga pasting all these teams. I see Kentucky and how loaded they are and, and how they do have the guard play to go far. And they do have the National Player of the Year candidate and Oscar Shibway. And Arizona is so long, like, I think if you gave me those three teams, I might take them over the field. You know, I, I really like Gonzaga. Gonzaga to me is the one the one non-negotiable out of this group because I I really do think that Gonzaga has it all. And as scary as you look at, you know, some of their earlier season results, you know, they really put it on Texas in a, a game that wasn't anywhere near as close as that 12-point final score. They beat Texas Tech by 14. And, 
you know, when you look at those games, Gonzaga hadn't figured it out yet. And I think that's the, the scary thing that not a lot of people have realized is Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren had not figured out how to coexist. Yeah, Chet Holmgren had that, what, that was, four points against Texas, and now he's putting up yeah, like 20, that, 10, and 5 every game. Yeah, it's it, it was one of those things where it, it took them a little while to to kind of figure out how their bread was buttered. And, you know, it's it's amazing. I looked it up, you know, against BYU. I think Chet Holmgren had 15 points, six assists, five blocks, and he made two three-pointers as a seven-footer. And he's literally the only player that has done that in Division One college basketball <laughs> since college basketball reference goes back to, I think, 08, 09, something like that in terms of those search parameters. And that doesn't even account for the fact that, oh, by the way, he also scored 18 points. But, you know, he's just got such a versatile skill set. You know, the fact that he can go out and he can hit multiple three-pointers, he can shoot 40% from deep, he has the ball-handling ability to dish out six assists in a game which, you know, is ridiculous. He's a rim protector. He can score and rebound it. And, you know, and then you're talking about the guy next to him was Ken Palm's National Player of the Year last year, <laughs> Andrew Timmy. You know, most people just don't have that front court. I think Kentucky's playing really well, and I get that some of Kentucky's issues have been health-related. At the same time, Kentucky does scare me as a team that, that is maybe a little bit up and down, and Kentucky's up is probably better than anybody else's up, and that includes Gonzaga. But at the same time, you're never that team through six games. Never. I mean, even that 2018 Villanova team that everybody looks at and says, wow, like that that team just ran roughshod through everybody. They made a mockery of the college three-point line. You know, they had that, that Elite Eight game against Texas Tech that was basically a rock fight. And, and so if Kentucky finds itself in one of those rock fights against a team that's capable of playing with it, I, I think, you know, that scares you a, a little bit from that standpoint. Arizona's interesting, too, because just look at the two UCLA games, right? And one of them, UCLA looked like looked every bit like the number two team in the country that people had them projected as. You know, they won by like 15 points and you know played with poise and just absolutely carved Arizona up. And in the second, more recent game, and, and you know, so a lot of people would say, "Hey, this game matters more." You know, Arizona put it on UCLA, and so I think it's interesting too. You know, how Arizona is going to factor in, especially. I think Arizona's got some inconsistency issues at the point guard spot. That's not usually what, you know, you want to see heading into March Madness. And, and something that not a lot of people talk about is I think all of the last champions dating all the way back to maybe like 2012 Kentucky have basically played two point guards together, or at least what would be considered a point guard and a combo guard together. You know, Jared Butler handled the point guard spot when Davion Mitchell was out. And it's been like that all the way across. And so when you look at that and you look at a team like Arizona that struggles at the point guard spot and a lot of times, you know, puts Kirk Creesa out there with basically a a ton of 6'7", 6'8", guys, 
that doesn't quite match the formula of what we've seen from from teams that have captured it all here in the last few years. That's a really good point that you bring up, and I guess that means more Joe Yesfu, Remy Martin, if he ever comes back, <laughs> and, and Dewan Harris all playing together. Um, we did see the top four seed lines come out on Saturday, and obviously things I'm sure have shifted a little bit with some more games and data that's come in. Uh, but based on what you did see with the top 16 and the top four seed lines in those four regions, if you had to pick a final four today, kind of based on that, what would you go with? Well, gosh, Kansas probably doesn't want to see Kentucky, does it? <laughs> no, but it, it, it'd be either Kentucky or uh, Villanova playing in Philadelphia at that point. And that would be a total, you know, that would be such a fascinating matchup, I think, the Kentucky-Villanova game, because I don't think there's any doubt that Kentucky outclasses Villanova athletically, and yet how many times have we pointed to games like that in the past and Jay Wright, with a little prep time, you know, just basically cooks the other team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having the experienced point guard with Colin Gillespie and, and all those things, I I think that would be a, a lot of fun to watch. I still think, you know, Kentucky would probably be my pick to get through the East. Uh, when you're looking at the South, that that's also one that, that's kind of a fun matchup for me because I don't think – I don't think Providence is going to be a top four seed. Um, so I don't think Providence is a team that's going to be stuck in there. But how about a Baylor Arizona potential elite eight? I mean, in terms of length and athleticism, if Baylor can get healthy, that game becomes a lot of fun all of a sudden. And, you know, that's a game where, you know, you've got some storylines like James Akinjo playing against Arizona, the team that he left. And, and against Creasa, who was, you know, his his backup last year. And, and so you you have some fun storylines there. I tend to think Arizona would probably still win that game if Baylor does get there. Um, I, I like Auburn out of the Midwest because, like I said, I, I think Purdue just has too many holes from a defensive standpoint. You know, there, there are certain stretches there that make you think, man, Purdue – you know, is is a national championship team, but it's about that consistency. And defensively, Purdue just doesn't have that. Texas Tech struggles so much to score, and UCLA hasn't been the team that that we thought that UCLA would be. And then finally, in the West, I, I like Gonzaga in that potential rematch of of Gonzaga and Duke. But I tell you what, that Illinois team, you know, as as they continue to get healthy and continue to get used to playing together because Andre Curbelo missed such a huge portion of time, if that thing ever gels, Illinois is one of those teams that I think a lot of people are going to maybe have as a three or a four seed that that maybe winds up winning a regional. Uh, we're talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. It feels like Ochag Baji, as, as far as being the you know the number one or maybe one of the top top here guys as number one or number two or something for national player of the year race it, it seems like that is maybe faded a little bit like he's still clearly one of the top candidates i'm sure he'll end up a first team all-american and all that stuff what do you think ochi would have to do over these next couple weeks to to win national player of the year well you know it's it's funny because i think last time we talked national player of the year we talked about heisman moments in, in college football and it's it's not quite the same in college basketball. I think there's more of a tendency to, to really, you know, look at numbers and things like that. But at the same time, 
what is it that we remember most about the 2020 season? It, it's Yudoka Azubuki going ham, you know, <laughs> down in Waco. And, and, you know, that was when I think a lot of Kansas fans thought that they had a really, really good team. A lot of them felt like they had a chance to win that game. And I think once Azubuki, you know, finished that game the way that he did, a lot of people felt like, okay, Kansas has the best player in the nation. And he wasn't over the course of the full year, so he wasn't going to win the National Player of the Year. But a lot of people felt like at that point Kansas had the best player in college basketball, sort of this unstoppable force. And and it's so interesting to me that coming into this Saturday, you know, Ochai Abaji has somewhat of a similar opportunity. I I think Baylor is obviously in in a different spot. Baylor doesn't lead the Big 12 race right now. But at the same time, you're, you're still talking about a game on, on a Saturday that a lot of people are going to be watching on the road against a team that is still in the Big 12 race. If Ochai Abaji comes out and has one of those performances like he had against Kansas State the first time or like he had against Texas Tech, if he has a game where he scores 33 points, is unstoppable, and Kansas wins in Waco – I think that that does an awful lot for propelling him back up to to maybe that top spot, certainly in that discussion. I think Johnny Davis is probably the top guy at this point out of uh, out of Wisconsin, and so uh, I think that Abaji has has a really good shot at, at producing sort of his Heisman moment at this point. And after that, I'm not sure he needs to be. You know, it's not like he needs to end on five straight 30-point games. I think if he has a big performance in a win over Baylor and then he kind of does what he's been doing all season the rest of the way through, uh, I think he's got a pretty good chance to be right there at the end. He is Kevin Flaherty. Check out his work 24-7 sports. Before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Kevin, one last thing. Should they bring the Summit League tournament back to Kansas City? Ooh. I think they should bring every tournament back to Kansas City if we're if we're being honest. You're a smart I mean, man. It, it, it's just not only is it it's such a great you know basketball town and surrounding area. I think when you when you look at a lot of people want an NBA team in Kansas City, I would certainly be one of them, and, and think that the city would support something like that. And, and I just. I really do think that it's just such a great spot for it. And I think that's one of the reasons the Big 12 tournament continues to be held in Kansas City, despite the fact that obviously it's quite a bit more of a trip for, for a lot of the league is because they don't get that kind of atmosphere, that kind of support, that kind of venue. I, I don't think they get the combination of everything they can get if they hold that thing in Oklahoma City or or Dallas or elsewhere, and there are some you know good places where you could hold the Summit League tournament. But I uh, I tend to think Kansas City can do it with uh, with the best of them. He is Kevin Flaherty. Check out his work twenty four seven Sports. Kevin, thank you for the time as always. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, that's Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down, one to go with Adam Rivetta, Derek Johnson on KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? 
You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. With Adam Dravetta, I am Derek Johnson. Five o'clock hour here. Got some Joe Yesfu audio we're going to play for you in a little bit. Um, it seems like every time that KU By plays, the way, real quick, the Yesfu yeah. becomes more and more important ever since that Flaherty quote about lead guards. I know, right? Lead guards in the tournament. Now it has to be overthinking things. But, but that's the thing. Like, I also feel like it's weird because KU's ranked fifth in Ken Palm. Like, they clearly, they're one seed. They're clearly one of the best teams in the country. It is very much like the 2018 team where, you know, looking back on it, like uh, with hindsight goggles, everybody's like, oh, of course that was a great team. You had all these great players. But nobody just, thought. In the time, it was like. If this team makes the Sweet 16, then they're playing with house money, maybe an Elite Eight. Well, and, and everybody just assumed they're going to lose to Duke. Yes, exactly. And everybody kind of assumed they're either going to lose to Michigan. There were people, I don't think this would have been the case. But I'm just talking about like going into the tournament. Yeah, I agree completely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was kind of thought, wow, they, they made a terrific rebound to wind up winning the Big 12, Big 12 again. tournament was awesome. That made it 14, so that was big because that broke the record. Mm-hmm. Uh, they won the Big 12 tournament. Um, they They... I mean, they, they made a big turnaround, and I yeah, that was kind of um, the the win against Seton Hall, and then it was like, all right, and then they're playing Clemson in the Sweet 16, and that one was closer at the end than it should have been. Um, but still, it was kind of just one of those years where, yeah, after um, it kind of reminded me of 2012 a little bit in that you'd have, you'd come a, you'd come off two disappointing one seed years. Although in 2012 Kansas was a two seed, but in 2016 you were a one seed that didn't make the final four. In 2017 you were a one seed that didn't make the final four. Um, and then in 18 they also got a one seed. They weren't a two, but it's the same kind of concept. Yeah, and that that's kind of how this team kind of feels. Which is yeah, of course they can make a final four. Something, but it it doesn't feel like we are truly discussing them in the national title race. Maybe we should, but I I don't know I. I just have a hard time seeing this team winning the title. I do I I do think this I don't so much look at it as wow, this team really. I more look at it as I just think there's such a clear drop. In my mind, now I, I know you put Arizona up there. In my mind, there's such a clear drop off between Gonzaga, Kentucky, and the rest. Mm-hmm. And maybe I I wouldn't. It's not you know it's not ludicrous to put Arizona. In, as well, I will third say I'm starting group. to lean toward but, your thought. But I I just think there are two teams that are yeah. just like the guys, and then you've got probably. But ten, we've seen crazy things. happen Yeah, and you've in March. got ten to twelve teams behind them that could all go to the Final Four. Yeah, but would not be favored against. Well, it's like, like like I think Gonzaga and Kentucky are probably hovering around a two point game as far as who the favorite would be. It's probably around two points on a neutral court. I think either of those teams is a six-point favorite against almost everybody else in the nation. Yeah. At least a six-point favorite. Well, I mean, this is maybe this is wrong because this this team ended up with like an adjusted EM, which is insane, of like 33.29, which is like a really high number. But that 2010 Duke team, it felt like all along like that team was like, uh, they don't it really was, have like these crazy that, pros. That tournament, it was all. They're kind of slept on. It, it was Kansas-Kentucky in the title. Yeah. Kansas-Kentucky, Kansas-Kentucky, and they ended up Kansas, winning the title, Kentucky. Right? So who knows? And they Maybe wound Kansas up winning the national championship. can do that, and that's yeah. another blue blood as well. Um, But it, it feels like every time KU plays K-State and it's a close game, like KU just throws out this junk defense, as Bill Self refers to it as, and and they have no answer. Um, so I'm interested to see if that happens tonight. But 
You know what I'm really most looking into tonight is back to this conversation about the two guards. Joe Yesifu logged a DNP in the first game against Kansas State. He did not play. Remy Martin, meanwhile, played 21-22 minutes in that game. If we're just assuming, which, again, who knows? Maybe Remy will be back tonight, as, as Matt Tate said. But um, if we're just assuming— we're all guessing he's not. Exactly, that he's not going to play— that means you could have 20, 21, 22 minutes to give out to Joe Yesfu in this game. And that was even in a Remy game that he didn't play very well. He's one of six from the floor, had some turnovers, didn't really impact things. Also, when you add in the fact that K-State plays those two little guards, Nigel Pack and, and Marquise Noel, I really think, because last game we didn't see the two-guard lineup to what, the final eight, ten minutes of the game? I think tonight is a game where that two-guard lineup is going to be unleashed even more in this game. And big game for Joe Yesfu. You think it would depend on how K-State's doing? Like if you think they start, like probably you, you think if the starters jump out and it's fifteen to two, well, yeah. It's, if and, it's and like they, if it's know. like, hey, Marquise Noel is getting in the lane every time because we have Dewan Harris guarding uh, Nigel Pack. Yeah, then we need another little guard in out there, or vice versa. Dewan Harris is yeah. guarding Noel and Nigel Pack's getting open. Yeah. Yes, uh, but yeah, if if KU comes out with their with their one one lead guard lineup as they typically start the game with, and they just have the doors blown open and K State never, you know crawls back into it, um, then I'm not sure Yeah, see a lot of it. But I do agree. It, it could be a very beneficial, because that, I think, is the way. If you want to look at, they've got Nigel Pack, who's fantastic. You've got Noel, whose particular skill set is, um, to quote Liam Neeson, whose particular <laughs> skill set is driving into the lane. It would be very beneficial, particularly on defense, to have those two guys together. Yeah, it absolutely would. Okay, uh, let's get into Rock Chalk Pickahawk. I am up to 11-6 and six on the season in Rock Chalk Pickahawk, so you need to make a stand right now. There's only, what, five regular season games plus Big 12 tournament plus NCAA tournament. You need to go on a run right now. Uh, I have the first pick for this one. All right. Again, I'm going to take a guy. Last time I had the first pick, I took Jalen Wilson. He had never gone number one in this thing. I'm going to take another guy. For the first time ever going number one. Taking Dave. David McCormick yeah. had eight offensive rebounds last time they played. He had 15 total rebounds. I mentioned KU rebounded over half their misses last time they played Kansas State. Kansas State, not a good defensive rebounding team. Dave, one of the best offensive rebounders in the country. I think he's going to rack up numbers. I think he's going to rack up stats. Doesn't mean he's going to be the best player in the game, but for the purposes of Rock Chalk, pick a hawk. I think he will be. That's a really good choice. I'm going to take Ochai. Would you have, by the way, if I took, See, say Ochai first, I, would you have gone? I, I was... I would have taken Dave now, yes. However, I was even thinking, because I couldn't remember who had the first pick, and there was part of me that was like, man, Dave wouldn't be a bad first pick. Um, I'm going to go Ochai, and now I'm really torn. You're going to be happy with no matter who I pick next. Yes, I am. Um, I mean, the top four are very much. Yeah. I'll take Christian Brown. Hmm. Yeah, I always say I like having a kid who's from Kansas. Like, you know the game means something to him, so I, I don't mind that. That that makes this next pick easy for me. No matter what, it was either going to be Jalen or Christian, whoever you didn't pick. But I do feel good that I have the the two leading rebounders in a game where rebounds should be uh, a big deal for KU in this game. So, um, yeah, I'll go with that one there. And then move. I guess I'll take DeWan Harris with the next pick. I will not be taking Zach Clements at pick five. All right, so I am gonna go. You took, you just took who? Jalen and Dewan. Yes. Okay, so I'm gonna get uh, Mitch Lightfoot. Okay. Hopefully, grab some more rebounds there. And Joe Yesifu. 
All right, so now I basically, it's Jalen Coleman lands, or do I think Zach Clemens plays again? I'll say this is a Zach Clemens bounce back game. I have no idea why. Let's just roll with it. Um, so, yeah, I have David McCormick, Jalen Wilson, Dewan Harris, and Zach Clements. You have Ochag Baji, Christian Brown, Mitch Lightfoot, and Joe Yesifu. Let's do it. Okay. He is Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Jock Sports Talk. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, the KLWN app. Depend on it.